0: You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. I'm thinking about keeping her. 43 years. 43 and a half, we've been at it. You we know, dated for a little while before that. I'll never forget the first time I saw that girl. She was 11 years old. For real. Yeah. For real. I thought she was the cutest thing I'd ever seen in my whole life. Of course, my life was only 11 years long. <laughs> but I thought she was the cutest thing I'd ever seen. She'd come walking up that center sidewalk with the schoolyard of my whole life in Thackerville, Oklahoma. And I just stared at her the whole time she came up. I stared at her. Then she turned and went over to the other building. And I asked somebody, I said, who is that? Somebody said, that's Becky's cousin. I said, that's Becky T. cousin? Yeah. I said, huh. She sure don't look like Becky, does she? (laughs) 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 Anyway. kind of fell in love. love they say, oh, that's just puppy love. I'll tell you something, you ask any puppy. Puppy love is real to puppies, amen. amen, amen, all right. Threw that all in for free. It's possible to get married and stay married. It's possible to be in love and stay in love, but not everybody agrees with that because probably, probably half of us in this room or a good number of us in this room have, have been divorced and been through that kind of heartbreak. But you, but, but you know it's possible to start where you are today and stay in. Yeah. Stay where you are today. Stay, stay in these relationships and try to make them work the best you know how. You can't force somebody else to do what you want them to do. That's, that's manipulation. You can't force that. But you can be all you can be. Praise God. Oh, Come on. You say you can be all you can be. You do what you can do. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26 and verse 14 is where we're going to start today. Acts 26, 14. I want to talk to you about what Jesus has planned for the church, what his plan for you is, what his plan for every believer is, and what his plan for the church as a whole is. We're really just going to be talking about verse 18, but I kind of want you to see uh, what leads up to verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul giving his testimony. This is the third time it's in the book of Acts. This is the third time it's in the book of Acts. In chapter 9 of Acts, it's, it's when it was actually happening. It was being recorded. Chapter 22 is the first time he gives the story from his own mouth. And chapter 26 is the second time he gives it. So it's recorded three times in the book of Acts. Can I say something to you? You don't have to be a theologian to lead somebody to Jesus. No, you don't. You just have to keep telling your story. Just tell them your story. Just tell them what happened to you. Tell somebody what happened to you. I've always said, because I heard the great W.A. Criswell, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas say it, I didn't hear him say it directly. I heard it by way of my pastor, Jim Hester, who said there is no bad way to tell a lost person about Jesus. And the best thing you can do is just talk to them about what happened to you, what you know, what you've experienced. You don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to have one scripture memorized, just tell them what you know. And what you know is what happened to you. The Apostle Paul, over and over, this guy had a head full of knowledge. He had the, he had the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch, they called the Torah, the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all memorized. We know this because he was a part of the Sanhedrin court, and that was one of the qualifications to be a part of the Sanhedrin court was to have the Torah memorized. This guy knew a lot, he knew plenty. Plus, the revelation that Jesus was downloading into him constantly, it seems, to, to formulate all of New Testament doctrine. What a whale of a soul this, this, this guy named Saul of Tarsus was. and, and uh, Jesus had specially picked him to be his great emissary, and uh, all that he could have been saying, you know, theologically powerful and deep, it seems like he just kept telling his story over and over what happened to him. Yeah. So never, never get, uh, you know, tired of telling your story of what Jesus did for you, because it's a powerful, powerful tool to help others come to, to the knowledge of Christ. And so here's where we are, him giving the story, telling the story. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Verse 15 And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But arise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen. And of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Okay? So Jesus is telling him, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. It was, in, it was in his very first encounter with the Lord that he was going to be chosen and selected and trained and equipped and sent to the Gentiles. In verse 18, which is our focus for the day, to open their eyes. Okay? So the Gentiles are going to get their eyes opened to turn them from darkness to light, so they're gonna turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins, that's the fourth thing, and inheritance, the fifth, among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for the power of the word of God, and thank you for these good people who have come here to hear it today. I'm asking that you will bless them with, with hearing ears, that you grant to this congregation the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of Christ, I pray for those who are hurting today, that they may be healed. Those who are, who are struggling, that they'll find relief in the name of Jesus. Those who are lost, that they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And those who feel empty, that you, they'll leave here filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And I pray for every need that is represented in this place today, that this word will penetrate the dark places and bring to, to light. All that they have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to make five thoughts, five points here today, if I may, with you. Let you see what this passage is actually saying that Jesus intended for Paul's ministry to do. That is when it created the church, the church, the Gentile church as we know it. First was revelation. He said he's going to open their eyes. Second was revolution. Turn them from darkness to light. The third is restoration. Turn them from power, the power of Satan, to God. Fifth is reconciliation that they may receive forgiveness. And the fifth is remuneration, that is inheritance, a payback, if you will, to give, to give man back what the devil had stolen. The first thing he said there is going to open their eyes. Open their eyes. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the dark and have your eyes opened to, to, a, to a thing. Mo, most people have at some point. If you just think about it, say, man, I, I didn't know that was going on behind my back. Yeah. Right? Then you had a revelation. Aha, an aha moment. I have these constantly. Constantly, because I read my Bible all the time. Yes. I study the scriptures. And I'm going, aha, oh, I never saw that. Now, I've been studying the Bible, I mean, strong for 40 years. I've been studying the Bible for a long time, strong. And now when I read it, I still get moments like, wow, I didn't know it said. I, wow, look at this. And I holler at Miss Ann, Hey, come in here. Let me try this on you. I mean, it's amazing. How powerful the Bible is, how powerful the written word is. It has revelation in it if you'll give yourself to it. Jesus said, I want you to open their eyes. I want them to have the message that opens their eyes where they can see the purpose. It's difficult in the modern religious world for most people to understand what the gospel really means because it's hard for preachers to let the gospel mean what it means. The gospel means forgiveness of sins. It means that you are in this thing forever. It means that God took your punishment out on Jesus, that He blamed Him for every bad thing that you ever did. This most people do not believe. They cannot accept that, that Jesus fully and completely satisfied every righteous act, every righteous dictate and mandate of Almighty God, that He lived a perfect life and He was a perfect sacrifice to take away every sin that ever would be committed for all time. Most people don't know. They don't believe the gospel is quite that good in the news. They think it's pretty good news, but you wouldn't define it as the only good news. It's pretty good news, but it's not. No, 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 no. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that they couldn't think of anything else to call it but good news because everything in comparison is bad news. Everything in comparison to, to the gospel is bad news. Glory to God. It's such good news. God took every sin that you might commit or have committed or might even commit in the future, laid it on Jesus. Revelation, it's an eye-opener. I uh, used to be a farmer. Not, not the farm I was raised on, I'd been in the city for many years and, and I moved out to a little place that had about, how many acres did we have, seven acres? So we had a little seven-acre ranchette in a place called Weston, Texas, north of McKinney, about 10 miles out in the country there, it's a pretty little area, and had a nice house. And the taxes in Collin County, Texas, somebody ought to be hung over that, I mean to tell you, they need, to be, they need, to, they need some politicians to be hung over that, that's ridiculous, that's nothing but robbery, robbery. I told people what, 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 what we paid in taxes and I felt like an idiot, because I knew what the next question was gonna be, why on earth would you live in such a place? And I had to ask myself the question, So. Get back to Oklahoma where people have good brains. So, uh, but I found out something that if I was farming on this seven acres, I could get a massive reduction in my taxation. So I bought three goats. I started raising goats. And my taxes went way, way down because I had three goats. All right, I'm a goat farmer now. (laughs) These goats were terrified of me. They were scared. They were wild, crazy little good things. They'd been in a great big pasture, and I brought them on that little seven acre, and I kept them in a a little pen. They were terrified of me. They thought every day when I went out to feed them that I was going to kill them and eat them. You could just tell. "Ah, ah, There he is again. They were just terrified of me. But I had to have those goats because the county would breathe down my neck with taxes if I didn't have those goats. I was dependent on those goats. I needed them alive. They thought I wanted them dead. You understand? They had no revelation of how important they were to me. Somebody get this. God doesn't want to kill you. He doesn't want to die. cause you to die. He's not going to strike you with a lightning bolt. He needs you. He wants you. He loves you. He's dependent on you. Yeah. Glory to God. Most of the world has no idea of that revelation. Oh, we're just filthy worms just trying to get by. Oh, God, you see our sinfulness. Oh, no, he doesn't either. He sees Jesus' as righteousness called him the last Adam, fixed all of mankind when he calls him the last Adam. Oh, glory, this is better than you're shouting. I mean, you're smarter than a goat. At least you can figure that out. Right? But we have no revelation. And when you have a revelation, that means you can tell the future sometimes. Remember that last book of the Bible telling us about the future? It's called the Revelation. That's cool, isn't it? <laughs> I love that. But men are notorious for not knowing what's going to happen in the future. Don't ever invest your money on the basis of what the guys on Fox News tell you about the economy. Because yeah. <laughs> that guy says it's going left, and that guy says it's going right, and that guy says it's going up, and that guy says it's going down. That's right. And these are the experts. They believe exactly opposite things from one another. The experts. Hmm. You have to trust God with all your money. It's, and our forefathers knew this. They put in God we trust, didn't they? <laughs> they knew you were going to need God's help. if You're going to use money. Man-made money. You're going to have to have God's help to make any money. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Lean not to your own understanding, the Bible says. I think about when I drive through Texas. The big cities of Texas. I mean, phew, Texas has some massive cities. It has three cities in the top... 10, all along I-35, and then of course there's Houston, which is just gargantuan in size. Millions and millions of people. And Dallas actually starts just outside of Denton, Texas, <laughs> yeah. going down I-35, it, you know you get past Denton and you're, you're in Dallas basically. And from here it starts about McKinney, that's kind of where you're in Dallas, the metroplex, right? That's how it feels, men, for most country folk. I mean, you're in, you're, in, you're in the city once you get to McKinney. It's that way when you get to a town called Louisville. When I go into Louisville, the city spreading out far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside, you know. How many of you old enough to know that song? Green Acres? And the mascot for the for the football team in Louisville, big city, Texas, is called the Farmers. <laughs> Apparently when they named their team the Farmers, they weren't looking down the road very far. Because there ain't no farms in Louisville, Texas. It's concrete everywhere. And no revelation. God intends on you being able to see in that realm that others can't see. Let me just say, you can see into that realm that others can't see if you'll hear what the Lord is saying to you. The Apostle Paul's call was this. Turn them... Huh? Turn them from darkness to light. Not only open their eyes, but then turn them from darkness to light. Now that's a little more than just a revelation. That's a revolution. Because the earth, you know, is turning. And it's light right now outside. But as the earth turns along about 9 o'clock tonight, 9.30, we're going to go to what? Darkness. And that's based on the what? The revolution of the earth. Not it revolving around the sun, but its its own revolution, its own spinning, its own turning. Nations go through revolutions, and they tend to run from total di- dictatorial, communistic, Islamic, jihadist kind of, not jihadist, what's the word, sharia, sharia law kind of one dictator, you know, governments, and they're all the same, it doesn't matter, it just, Empirical uh, princes and kings—they're all the same. They just have—they just call them different things, but it's just one guy in charge of everything, telling everybody else what to do. Somehow he got the right, and they—or they swing far the other way, where everybody has the say-so, and it's a pure democracy, and the majority always tramples on the tramples on the minority. When really. The truth is somewhere in the middle, and that's what our forefathers in this country had had smarts enough to know. And then, listen. Ye- yesterday we celebrated, or two days ago we celebrated, you know, the Fourth of July, Independence Day. And I think if you don't celebrate the Fourth of July, you need to go to another country. <laughs> <laughs> go, go see, go see how free you are over there in some of those places. And yeah, right, right. uh, pardon me for being an Okie. I, I, I love this country. When I say, pardon me for being an Okie, with about the most conservative state in the whole nation. I, not that we live like it, but we think it. We think it. <laughs> we think it. Uh, and I just, I think what they thought when they were fashioning this country was that, and they had some terrible, terrible blind spots. Maybe the worst of the blind spots was their ideas about slavery. But, but uh, they did all that they, all they had revelation on. And they had a revelation that sometimes you need a king, so we need a president. We need a guy who can push the button, commander in chief of the military. We need one guy in charge of that. But we don't need one guy telling us all the laws. Let's have a representative government. Let's let the people be a democratic type government, and we send the laws up there, and they work on them. And, and also, we're we are, because we have a Senate, just to let you know what the Senate is about, the Senate is state representation. Senate is state representation, every state, little, mini tiny Rhode Island the size of one of Texas's counties. Huh? Gets the same number of senators as Texas does. Oklahoma's got two, Texas got two, New York's got two, California's got two, and Rhode Island's got two. Wow. Trying to bring some equality, give, give these states some authority as states. It don't matter, don't matter who you were for in the last election, last presidential election, doesn't matter. If you lived in Oklahoma, huh, you voted for Mitt Romney. If you lived in Oklahoma, you voted for Mitt Romney. It don't matter who you, who you think you voted for, if you were, lived in Oklahoma or in Texas, you voted for Mitt Romney. You voted for the loser, but you voted for Rip, Mitt Romney, why? Because we have, we have that form of government where it's not purely democratic. It's just not purely democratic. This is 50 democracies and they come together and we vote as states for our president. That's pretty powerful. Some just hate it. They want it to go pure democracy so that, so that, so that, uh, the the majority can oppress the minorities. Democracies are not that great a form of government. They're just not, not pure democracies. Neither are pure totalitarian governments. I like the way Churchill said it, Winston Churchill said, democratic forms of government are the worst kind possible, except for all the others. (laughs) Uh, true. But if you're going to do anything, anything worthy of note in this life, you're going to have to have a revolution. You have to get out of the way of are thinking. You can't just adjust it a little bit, adjust it a little bit. Your life will be over by the time you get everything adjusted. Sometimes you just have to act and act big. Turn. He said this message would do that. He said, Paul, I'm raising you up to help you help people have a revolution, to turn from darkness to light. Well, what was the darkness that people were bound up in? Men's religions? Yeah. But in particular, the Jews were bound up in the law. And Paul was bound up in that law. And Paul now finds out that even though he loved the law and had the Old Testament memorized, basically, that Jesus was telling him, you're in darkness. I come to lift you out of that, to bring you into this wonderful thing called the grace of God. The grace of God's what saves. You can keep the law all you want to, but you'll never be righteous. There are going to be a lot of law-keeping Jews and a lot of law-keeping Gentiles separated from God for eternity. You understand what I'm saying? You only come into this thing by grace, through faith in Jesus' name. That's how you get in. The simple message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I I believe in the power of the gospel to turn a person completely around. It turned me completely around. My wife thought I'd lost my mind at first. And what she didn't know was I had... Because the mine I had wasn't worth keeping. Didn't lose it, I got rid of it. There was a a baby boy born, his parents named him Nigel, Nigel Robinson. Kid born in the projects in the southern part of Dallas. His mom was a drug addict. His dad was a drug addict and a dealer. His dad went to prison. His mom was in and out of drug rehabs, always in trouble, both of them. Nigel was born hooked on drugs, came into this world with no hope, no God, no parents of any count, but he did have a grandmother. And grandmother got custody of that baby boy. And she held him in her hands, walked into the middle of her living room and held him up and said, I dedicate this child to you, Father, for the gospel. Nigel, you're going to preach the gospel. He's yours to preach the gospel. Nigel grew up five years ago. Let me say Seven years ago, enrolled as a student at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. Became one of my students and five years ago graduated, praise God, having performed beautifully, one of the most on-fire kids I have ever seen. It's possible for you to turn everything around in your face. You say, but preacher, you don't know where I come from. My people are this. My people are that way. We never had nothing. Everything we touch, it gets broken. Huh? Well, divorce runs in our family. You know, and this, and addictions, and, and all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't understand, preacher. I come from a dysfunctional family. I said, well, join the human race. <laughs> don't we all? How, how functional was Adam and Eve's family when... The firstborn son kills, the, kills his baby brother. Something went wrong. <laughs> Something went wrong. You don't know where I come from. I'm saying you can have a revolution. It doesn't have to stay that way. Maybe you didn't have the blessings of having a long heritage in the gospel. Who cares? You have it. Start today. Have your own revolution, praise God. Amen. You might just lose your family. You might not be welcomed at the, at the family reunion. Hang that. Who cares? That's right. That's right. Eternity's riding on this. I mean, your life is riding on this. Your, your, your heritage is riding on this. Yeah. Have yourself a revolution. You have a right to it. Jesus told Paul, I'm going to give you the kind of message that will turn people from darkness to light. Yes. Amen. Glory be to God. Their world will always be in the light. Third thing here is pretty Powerful restoration he's going to turn them from the power of Satan to God I'm going to ask you what is the power of Satan fear was already mentioned here once but what really is the power of Satan unbelief, unbelief yeah. how, how, does, how does that work Jesus said that he was the father of lies So he's going to lie to you and make you be afraid. He's going to lie to you and make you not believe. He's going to lie to you and make you concentrate on what you can see. And you never get the truth from the the devil. You never get the truth from what you see. You never get the truth from what you hear from him. You never get the truth from fear or unbelief. You always get the truth from the gospel. Paul said, or Jesus said to Paul, I'm going to give you this kind of message. I'm going to raise you up to turn people from the power of Satan to God. From the power of well, what is the power of Satan? Lies. So what is the power of God? Paul said it like this: For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. So when we're talking about going from the power of Satan to God, we're talking about learning to live in the pleasures and the glory and the promises of the gospel. And not letting that dumb stuff come out of our mouths like, well, brother, you do that, God's going to get you for that. Really? God already got Jesus for that. Use your faith. Use your faith and believe the gospel. Christ died for our sins. What does that mean? How can we say that when that happened 2,000 years ago if the gospel was not ridding the world of sin in the future? It had to be or none of us could even be saved. He had to be dealing with sin in all directions for all time, glory to God, so that that little sinner that's born today and every one of them that's born is sinful. I know that's hard to think. Can I hold him? He's perfect in every way, except he got his daddy's bad nature. Yeah. Now, he's fully sanctified. His parents are people of faith. He's a pretty good looking kid, ain't he? It's be a good time to say he looks like his mother. He looks, he looks like his mother. He's a mm, gorgeous boy. My goodness. He's a sinner. Unregenerate sinner. Sanctified by his mom and daddy's faith. It's hard to even think about it. Carolyn won't even agree with it. She agrees with everything I say. <laughs> How's he sleeping? Sleeps, sleeps good all night? Wakes up in the middle of the night, crying, demanding a bottle and a change, of a diaper? Yes. He doesn't care that you're tired, does he? He doesn't say, oh, Mother, please come help me. He just cries, I need help and I need somebody to pay attention to me. <laughs> Boy, he is good looking. But he is a sinner. He's born that way. He can't help it. That's where all of you were born. That's why we needed a Savior that we didn't produce ourselves. We needed a Savior bigger than us. Somebody told me one time, I was telling them about how Jesus lived, and they said, well, that's unfair. He was God. How am I expected to live like that? It's unfair? Yeah, he came and did all that he did, but he was God. I never heard such an insane argument. I said, let me ask you a question, buddy. I said, i on the streets preaching, to people on the streets. I said, if you're drowning, and you are, if you're drowning, do you want a guy who swims as good as you to come save you? He said, no, I want the best swimmer in town. Hello. You want somebody that's got an advantage. You want somebody who knows what he's doing out there in that water. Amen. I wanted him to have an unfair advantage. Glory to God. It's the only way he could do anything about our problem. The power of Satan is lies. The power of God is the gospel, which is simply the truth. This just talks to us about our restoration. Whatever you've lost, God intends on you getting it back. There's a powerful story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's actually in chapter 5, chapter 4, I mean, and chapter 9. When news gets back to town that Saul and Jonathan are dead, that the Philistines have killed them, and the news gets back, that one baby left of, of Jonathan's by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. It's like trying to say the name of our youth group (laughs) Shibboleth. Mephibosheth. He was five years old, and his nursemaid grabbed him up and ran for her life, for their lives. And apparently, she dropped him or fell herself and, and messed him up. He got a spinal injury, no doubt, and could no longer walk after that. Terrible tragedy. The son of the prince. He wound up in exile. He grew up in exile, hiding for his life, not, not letting, him, letting anyone know who he was. Let's read, beginning with verse 6 of 2 Samuel 9. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David, David sent word to get Mephibosheth. Was come to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given unto thy thy master's son all that pertains to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Befibosheth, thy master's son shall eat bread always at my table, David said. Now what you don't know is that there was a time That David despised. You can find this in Second uh, Samuel 5. Second Samuel 5 describes David's likes and dislikes in certain things. And one of the things it said he just hated was lame people. He hated lame people. And I'm not talking about your, your in-laws. I'm talking about... <laughs> I'm talking about people who were crippled in their feet. Right. He just hated them. Yeah. It wasn't a personal thing. He just hated the whole idea. Because David was such a, you know, fighting man. He knew, that was somebody he just couldn't count on. He just didn't have any need or any room for somebody like that in his life. Yeah. This is David the fighting man. They, they sang a song about him. Saul had slain his thousands and he had David his tens of thousands. This dude is bad. One time, 600 men that he had personally trained. Remember, we talked about this last week. Ziklag. 600 men that he had personally trained, they started talking about stoning him. I didn't say this last week, but I'm going to say it now. What was in- interesting about that story is they were talking about stoning him. Have, have Jews ever been squeamish about stoning somebody they despised? No. they grab their rocks and start stoning them. They have a history of it. They know how to do it well. 600, the odds are 600 to 1 against David. And not one of them picked up a stone to start throwing it at him. Not one of them would be first to do it. Do you know why? They all had that CD in their chariot. <laughs> Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. He, he just didn't have room in his life for people who couldn't fight. He was a total warrior. We think of David as being the, the psalmist of Israel, You know. You see, you see a hippie sitting around picking a guitar and singing sweet nothing songs. No, that's not David. This guy, if he, if he, put, if he had all played his harp, I, I promise you he had a sword strapped on him when he, while he was playing. Yeah. He was one tough dude. Hated, hated anything to do with people who were lame. But he brings Mephibosheth in. Let me say something to you. When Jesus called the Gentile woman a dog, He was calling her what she was in comparison to the Jews. The Jews considered Gentiles to be be just about as valuable as the family pet. David was lame people. Just despised being around them. But then he finds that his own covenant partner, Jonathan, Saul's son, has a lame son. So what does David do? Rather than say, I can't believe you're Jonathan's son. I just can't believe this. Look at you, you filthy rotten, no account lame. You can't fight nothing. No, 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 no. He didn't talk about anything. How bad he is at all. All he can remember is the covenant yes. man that his daddy was. Yes. And for his daddy's sake, the one who he's in covenant with, he does it for the sake of Jonathan, the Bible says. It doesn't matter how lame Mephibosheth is. doesn't matter what Mephibosheth did at all. I'm speaking to a house full of Mephibosheths here. It doesn't matter what you did. All that matters is that you had somebody who made a covenant with Almighty God on your behalf. Yes. Glory be to God. Come right in and sit at my table. I don't care what you look like or how impotent you are. I'm in covenant with somebody that I love. And for his sake. See, the Father keeps talking to us about Jesus. For Jesus' sake, we get in. Glory to God. Somebody ought to lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this great covenant that you made with the Father on our behalf. Thank you, our God. And the fourth thing is reconciliation. It says that they may receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. Now, I like, I like this. I looked this up in the Greek text. The word receive there is the word lambano. Lambano, L A M B A N O. And the word lambano, wow, you are good, Israel. <laughs> it means I receive, or it also means to take. To take. To take. Now you can't take something that's not already provided. Unless you steal it. But this has no connotation of theft. It means to take. To take. Do you understand? That they they, they may take forgiveness. Meaning that Jesus has already provided the forgiveness. The world just hasn't heard about it hadn't heard the message, so they can take it. Come on, there are some things that God has provided for you that you haven't taken yet. You just need to take them by faith. You don't need to beg, beg God, Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I just pray that you'll send me what I need. Now, we pray these prayers, these beggar prayers, instead of acting like sons. Instead of acting like sons. My, my grown sons in their 40s come to our house and open my refrigerator up like they still live there. open the refrigerator up, and if there's anything in there they want, they get it. They don't go, Oh, Mother dear, Oh, Mother dear, could I please, wouldst thou allowest me to look into thy refrigerator up? No, they just go to, the, go to the refrigerator and take what they want. You understand? It's been provided for you because you're part of the family. Your healing is provided. You take it. You don't, you don't ask God to do it. You, I mean, you can ask Him to for healing, but once you've done that, then you receive it by, by faith. I receive my healing in Jesus' name. You might not see a manifestation of it that moment you do it, but you still receive it by faith as though you do have the manifestation of it. Glory to God. You act like you've got it whether you have it or not, praise God. Whether you see it in the natural or not, because that's how you do receive. You receive everything you get from God by faith. Oh, I heard prayers, prayed. Oh, Lord, you see my need. Yeah, He sees your need, so what? He sees India's need, too, and the starving children in the streets. So does he do anything about that? You know why he doesn't do anything about that? Because need doesn't move God. You think it does, but it doesn't. Need does not move God. That's all mushy man-made stuff. God's stuff is this. He's not moved by need. He'll give the richest guy in town more money over the poorest guy in town. If the rich guy is in faith. I know that doesn't seem I know that makes you mad. I said, I can't believe it. God likes that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't believe. That's your problem, right there. <laughs> God's not moved by need. He's moved by faith. Amen. Him, he, he the measure of how much you need, how much you, you don't need, none of that. It doesn't even register on his scale. All he's looking at is what you believe. Glory to God. That's all he's thinking about, what you believe. God's not moved by need, God is moved by faith. there for the taking already laid out provided God reconciled himself to man when he reconciled himself to Jesus when he raised him from the dead your faith in Christ hides you in Christ so God sees Christ's record when he looks at your ledger now some of you are fairly new around here I'm going to tell this story again the home folks have heard me tell it three times well four times because I've been a part of this church four years going on four years. Did y'all know that? It's been a long time. There's a guy in the Bible called the father of faith, the father of our faith. Anybody know his name? Abraham. Abraham. Now Abraham, he's some kind of dude. He's the father of our faith. And let me say something to you. If they told you that St. Peter was going to meet you at the Golden Gates, They just told you wrong. The Bible never touches on that. Never says anything about that. If anybody's going to meet you at the Golden Gate, it's going to be Abraham. Because you're not going to get to glory because of what Peter did. You're going to get to glory because of your faith. And Abraham is called the father of our faith. The father of our faith. Hallelujah. Our faith in this covenant son. And that's what he had faith in, the covenant son. When he saw Isaac, he was really looking at Jesus by faith. You understand? There came a day, you've heard me say this, there came a day when God spoke to Abraham, said get up, get out, and go. And he did, it, he did just that. This is chapter 12 of Genesis. Abraham was what? Anybody remember? He was obedient, but he was not righteous. Chapter 13, he was blessed, made very rich. He was blessed, but he what? He was not righteous. Chapter 14, he was tithing, he went out in, in, in battle and was victorious, and he, and he, but he wasn't righteous, and he, and he tithed on that money, Woo! glory to God, he's a tither, but he wasn't righteous, none of that makes you righteous, none of that makes a person righteous none of that makes a person right with God Mm-mm, none, none of that did chapter 15 God says, I'm going to give you ch- children like the stars of the, of the heavens the Bible says, and Abraham believed God and he, the Lord, accounted that faith as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Wow. He was made righteous by what he believed. Not by obedience. Not by tithing. Not by being blessed. Not by, not by being victorious. and about None of that. He was righteous because of what he believed. About God's covenant promise. Hear me. Abraham sent up faith. And God wrote in the book righteousness. Abraham sent up faith, and God wrote righteousness in the book. Anybody here have uh, ever done any accounting or bookkeeping? You know what we're talking about? If you've got $6 laying on the table, what are you supposed to put in the ledger? $6. If you've got $7 on the table, what are you supposed to put in the ledger? $7. If you've got $6, you put in $6. Let me ask you something. If you've got a half a dozen dollars, can you put six in the book? Yeah. Why? It's the same. Say it out loud, Miss Ann. Because it's, it's the same thing. You can only put in the ledger. You can only give accounting because it's the same thing. When God had Abraham's faith laying on the table I can just imagine that he called the angelic accountant bring the big book over here the big ledger. yeah we're gonna yeah 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 open it up and he opens up this big book find Abraham ought will be close to the front A B hey I got him right here sir what do you want me to put down I want you to write down there in that book righteousness under his account okay Lord righteousness, r, 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 that's a, that's a big word, how do I, how do I spell that word, could I have a look at it, and you can just see the Lord hold it up to him, let him look at it, oh, wait a minute, that don't even start with a r right, you got faith there Lord, that's not righteousness, write down righteousness, but Lord, you know how those IRS inspectors are, if I write down righteousness and they uh, know all that he sent out, all he put on deposit was faith, somebody's going to be in trouble today. It ain't going to be you. It's going to be me. <laughs> write down righteousness. Lord, I'll write down righteousness. You're the God of the universe and I'll do whatever you say, do. But Lord, I need to hear you say, if I'm going to put righteousness in this book, I need to hear you say that faith And righteousness are the same thing. I have to hear you say, you make the decisions about what's what. You're God. So you tell me that faith is righteousness, and I put righteousness down here. Faith is righteousness. Write down righteousness there. (laughs) All right, righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, your faith is not something that will take you to righteousness. Your faith is what God calls righteousness. What you believe about Jesus doesn't just make you righteous. It is the very righteousness of Almighty God Himself inside you. You're as righteous as Almighty God in that place where faith works. That place where faith works is in your spirit, man, on the inside of you. And it affects everything that's in the spirit realm. Glory to God. Faith is righteousness. Not my words. If God can account it as righteousness, then it is righteousness. It's the same thing. Come on, tell two people it's the same thing. Tell somebody else. It's the same thing. I don't have to be a preacher of righteousness. I just got to be a preacher of faith and righteousness takes care of itself. Come on, somebody say amen. That's good. I do say so myself. I'm almost done. Who'll give me five minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35,, 40. Remuneration is our last thought. When Jesus said to him, "And that they could receive an inheritance, that we receive the forgiveness of sins and receive an inheritance. Do you know it's one thing to be forgiven? It's another thing to be forgiven like a son? One thing to be forgiven as, an, as, a, as, an, as a slave another thing to be forgiven as a son but he said Jesus specifically pointed this out to Saul I want you to to teach them that they're forgiven but I also want you to teach them that they can have my stuff and inheritance what's that if God is your father what is he giving you everything he has Oh this is good, this is better than you're shouting right now, because this is good if you think about it. When you're... I keep thinking about when my Uncle Wayne goes to heaven. He's just 12 years older than me. I keep thinking about my Uncle Wayne who's rich. Got plenty of money. I mean plenty of money. Struck oil over there in Love County. And the, and the well had so much pressure on it, it just free flowed for months and months and months. When it first struck, and I'm talking about 20 years ago, he was making like $40,000 a month for a long time. Texas tea found in Oklahoma, praise God. <laughs> Made a lot of money, and it's still worth a lot of money. And I'm thinking, I might just wind up in his will. Hallelujah. I'm not going to tell the elders because I still want to get a paycheck here. <laughs> hey, What if I wind up in His will? It'd be awesome. That'd be good. How many of you have ever been lifting somebody's will? Pretty cool deal, isn't it? I mean, you know, you said that they died, but at least it had a bit of a purpose, at least for you. It had some purpose for you. Took a little bit of the sting out of it. The best they could do was leave you their stuff, make you not feel so sad about their passing. The whole wide world wants to be in a rich man's will. I've never met anybody that said, well, I don't care if he leaves me in the will or not. No. If the lawyer calls and says, hey, you're in the will, you're taking off work that day to get down there for the reading of that will. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll quit my job if they won't let me off. I'll buy the company after the reading of the will. And fire everybody that wouldn't let me take off. After the reading of the will. Because at the reading of the will, I found out what I got. See, that's what we've been doing here today. Just been reading the will finding out what you have. Amen. But the religion turns it all around. Religion goofs it all up. Religion says, talks about this beautiful place called heaven. I believe in it. If you don't, I feel sorry for you. I believe in this real place called heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Father, we read all about it in the book of Revelation, what it looks like, what the place is like. It's amazing. They've got a river of life there. Hey, we're going to feel right at home. Praise God. they got a, got a got a river named after our church. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. they got a river there. The river of life. they got out in the middle of it is a big tree called the Tree of Life. I used to pastor a church called the Tree of Life too. Praise God. I'm going to be real happy. It's a great place. Golden streets. Pearls. It says two gates made of one pearl, a cross-section cut across it, apparently, to make these giant pearl gates, from one pearl. A pearl the size of a city gate. Now that's amazing until you, want it, until you ask the question, where are pearls made? Inside clams. Imagine the size of those clams. <laughs> Feed an orphanage for a year. Beautiful place, wonderful place. I believe in it. But religion tells us that you get nothing on this side. The will of heaven, they say, is that you get all the stuff in the will after you die. (laughs) I I can just imagine going sitting down. The lawyer calls. Yeah, you're in Uncle Wayne's will. All right, man, go sit down. And Uncle Wayne says... All my earthly possessions, all my millions, all my hundreds of acres of land, 12, 1,200 acres I think he's got. All my hundreds of acres of land, all that I, I bequeath to my nephew John with this one catch. He's got to die before he gets it. Then my Uncle Wayne just turned into the biggest jerk, jerk in Oklahoma. I don't want to be in that will. But this is the picture that religion paints of Almighty God. As though Jesus hadn't already died. That the will, I, like the will, I, isn't already in force. The will is in force. Jesus already died. You don't have to die. You didn't write the will. He had to die. He's the one that wrote the will and put it into force so you could have what it promised you. That will is that book in your hand, glory to God, written for you. And every promise in there is yours. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are, come on somebody, help me out. Yes and amen to the glory of God by us. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the power of these truths. These truths concerning the scriptures of what you, what you call the church to. And you have a plan for the church, a plan of revelation and revolution, a plan of restoration and reconciliation and remuneration, payback, our inheritance for all that the devil has stolen from the people of God, all that the devil stole from mankind. You have a plan for us to get it all back and more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your kindness and grace to your people today. Thank you for your healing power that is manifested in the name of Jesus. Because through the name of Jesus, anything can happen that's good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And we look to you today, God, for a manifestation of these things in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm praying with your heads bowed, please, I want to speak to those who are here today. Maybe you've never come to faith in Christ. Maybe you don't know what it means to know Jesus as your personal Savior. But you've heard the Gospel today, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, just like the Bible says. You can know Christ Jesus today personally. He wants into your life. He wants to change everything for you and make you brand new. Who here in this building can say, Preacher, you're talking to me today, I need God. I need to know Jesus as my Lord. If, you, if that's you, and you've never, never made Christ your Lord, your, your Savior, a personal reality for you, would you just raise your hand and say, I want that today. I want to pray and receive the Lord. Because I'll pray with you today, and Jesus will honor your prayer. I can teach you what little prayer you need to pray. i just guide you in it. I can't give you faith, but I can, give you, I can lend you words. Praise God. Faith is in your heart, I believe, right now to receive. You're in this place today. God wants you in his family. All right?